Stay hungry, stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. We'll one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hello and welcome back to the Knowledge is Power podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett. Today, we got another great episode. Uh, it's been in the works for a little bit, but we're able to make it work. And I'm very happy. and very glad for that. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. Hi, buddy. I'm James Moran. Uh, do you want me to tell everybody what I do? Sure. Yeah, go All ahead. All right. I'm a first AD and co-producer on film and television uh, out here in LA, which is a rarity these days to actually say out in LA. But uh, been doing it for about uh, 20 something years now, I got to say. Yeah. So for those, I mean, for those of you that don't know me and my family, James Moran is my cousin uh, on my mom's side. So um, happy to finally, you know, talk to you. It's been, you know, we've been on, talking on the phone every once in a while. But I think we tried doing this back in since October of last year. Yeah, maybe? something yeah. like that. But I'm, I'm happy we're able to make it work. So me too. Finally, the yeah. schedule lightened up a little. Knock on wood. I've been lucky enough to keep busy. Well, that's a good problem to have. So it is. I'm not. I can't complain. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, but yeah, I mean, we'll just get right into it. Uh, so if you want to explain sort of your life story and uh, I guess your film career. That would be great. Right. And don't feel like you're ever rambling on. I love hearing people's stories. So, oh, well, watch out. I ramble a lot. Watch out. <laughs> so, as you, as you mentioned, Christina, your mom, my cousin, and uh, grew up like Christina in Rhode Island. We all grew up in Rhode Island. Uh, I, I think, at least if you ask my mom, um, I was kind of destined to do this even when I was a kid. Uh, you know, growing up, I was a, a child of the late 70s, early 80s. And a, a big fan of like many uh, uh, the films of the, you know, Lucas and Spielberg and Zemeckis and all those guys. And I just, you know, movies for me were always a joy and entertainment. And I always definitely lean towards uh, the action adventure comedy side uh, of those guys. And it, you know, it, it drove me as a little kid between uh, you know, escaping into those worlds and playing with the toys and the, you know, the first big action figures and all that stuff. So in, uh, what was it? 1985, I think I ended up moving down 86, 85, 86, I ended up moving down to Florida and, uh, finished off high school and all that stuff and didn't quite know what I wanted to do. Um, ended up finishing high school, going to college. And my, I think my first year, might've been my first or second year at university of Florida and uh, a buddy of mine from high school back in Orlando uh, was telling me all of a sudden, Hey, they're, they're shooting a movie in town and Dennis Quaid's here. And, you know, I've been taking care of Dennis Quaid. My buddy, John Ellis was a caddy at the club where his dad was the pro. And that's where Dennis was staying when they were shooting the movie. There It was a movie called Wilder Napalm. You'd have to look it up. It's a, it wasn't a, a big hit or anything. But uh, it was definitely uh, impactful for me because that's how I kind of first got my foray and entrance into the business. But called me up. He's like, hey, they're, uh, they're shooting this movie here. Dennis Quaid invited me to set. And do you want to come down and check it out? 
I said, yeah, I actually, he was going to go. And I said, can I come with you? And he asked, and he was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And so, you know, I'm sure Dennis Quaid doesn't remember this at all, but I do because it was my first time on a movie set. Uh, I had done little commercials and stuff in Rhode Island, you know, and, and just seen stuff around here and there. But um, when I got home, uh, you know, I realized, second, I realized after going to that set, that's what I wanted to do. Sorry for that noise really quick. No, that's okay. Everybody's fine here. Everybody's fine. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, after going and visiting that set, I realized, Hey, this looks like something I want to do. And actually it's a career. It's not just, Ooh, look movies. And it's, it's a, uh, you know, all f- fantasy and stuff like that. I watched everyone from the PAs there to the medic, to the, you know, all the way up to the director. And I, got lucky because they let me come back a couple times and just sit and watch so from that that little trigger point i realized what i wanted to do i ended up finishing my two years at a at um, university of florida went back to university of central florida uh, did my junior year there and in my time in my spare time i was working in the local orlando film business which was small but consistent at the time and Met a lot of great people there and went and did um, the commercials and these like B movies that you could probably not even find nowadays, uh, but like these B sci-fi movies. Those were really big back then in the mid early nineties. And so I ended up, you know, working my way and learning by doing it. And then when I was about to start my senior year of college at university of central Florida and try and get into their film program, I was actually offered my first TV show, which was a show called Sequest. Um, and at that the time, it was one of the biggest shows on TV as far as budget, scale, scope, uh, all that stuff. It was, a, it was a very large show. And they had moved it from Los Angeles in 90, I think it shot 92, 93, 94. So in 92, they shot in Los Angeles. 93, they moved it to uh, Orlando, Florida, the landlocked Orlando, even though it was called Sequest. So uh, we spent a lot of time on the St. Pete coast uh, going down there for all of our ocean stuff was down in St. Pete, actually. So I got a call and they're like, hey, do you want to come do this show? And so I had to make the choice of do I try and get into film school and, you know, learn that way or do I get paid to learn? And I opted that route and uh, haven't looked back since, actually. So it was uh, that was my initial kickoff and how I got into it. And. Uh, I don't regret doing that one bit. I don't think. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it was, it was really an amazing show to work on just the amount of the, the cat, the cast that came through to this day, you know, I still try and keep in touch with a lot of the cast because they were very influential. I was a, you know, the young PA at the time and they were very good to me. They were really good people, the cast, the crew, everybody. And so I, I owe a lot to all those folks there. And if I had time, I'd list them all, but I don't, uh, but, you know, still keep in touch with them, still hopefully would like to work with them again. But it's hard being, you know, out here. Um, but after about uh, what was I there? I, I did that show there Then I did like this little kids show and I bounced back and forth on, you know, between that show and some other little things here and there. And then kind of the next big thing I did was there was another TV show that came into town called The Cape. And it was about the space program, uh, the shuttle program specifically. Uh, you know, in the, in the early nineties. And again, another great experience got to do stuff that 
no average person unless you work at NASA or you're, you're like a VIP get to do it at NASA. Like I got to watch shuttle launches from the top of the VAB building. I got to go in the vehicle assembly building and watch them build a shuttle and the, uh, not the shuttle itself, but sorry, the, the, the solid rocket boosters and, and all that stuff. And then, you know, we got to watch night launches, day launches. We got access to all these amazing places, but that was kind of, one of the coolest earliest things I did was realize the places I get to go and do is I don't it, no offense because I'm sitting in an office right now, but I don't have to sit in an office all day. You know, when we're prepping, I prep in an office and I, and I do all that in an office scenario, but my job, luckily for me, it changes, you know, for good and for bad. It's not a nine to five, which is, you know, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, it's not, you know, the, the same thing. Yes, the, the, the task of making a movie uh, is technically the same, but never the same experience, any one show to the other. Because you're never going to replicate one show over another because you have this crew on this movie is making, you know, this movie or TV show. Then the next one you go to, you might overlap with some people, some makeup and hair, some prop guys, camera, whatever, but it's never the same exact group of people in the same exact cast, the same exact location for any one show, even TV, it mixes up, it changes over the years. So it's a, uh, it, it keeps it exciting that way. So, yeah, well, that's very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've always been curious to hear about your career and cause I've always heard things and some of the projects you've been working on, like the most recent one with Father Stu. Yes. Right? Which yes, I'm looking Father forward Stu. to seeing. Believe That's it or not, we awesome. shot that just just shy of a year ago. Uh, about this time a year ago, I had gotten the call. Or it was right around this time a year ago. I got the call to see if I could do it. And um, yeah, that, that was a crazy one. You know, the, the way our business works is, you you know, once your foot's in the door and you know people, it's all about who you, it is about who you know, but it's also about, um, it's about your connections to one thing or the other. And so, and it's word of mouth and it's your reputation is what carries you, you know, knock on wood, I'm trying to keep a good one going. And oddly enough, that one specifically, I was driving home from Portland, Oregon. I had just finished a movie there uh, called Metal Lords. And uh, it was just one that I went in and finished up with them. And at the time, my family was able to go with me. Mary and the boys were able to go with me because the boys were still in virtual school. And so we just all packed up. We went up to Portland. I was there for six weeks. And so driving home, uh, I got a call and say, hey, what's your availability? Which is a typical question in this business and what we do. And I was like, oh, just just finishing up something. What's going on? They're like, hey, we got this movie with Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson. Any interest? And, you know, I had to do my research to see, you know, uh, from other people how, what it's like to work with Mark and Mel and, and those folks. And everything I heard was great. So I was like, oh, OK, this this seems like it could be an interesting thing. And I hadn't stopped working for. Seven months at that point, six, seven months at that point. Which, which is great. Again, a good problem to have. Um, so I wasn't actively looking, but then they gave me the call. I met with the director, uh, Rosalind Ross, 
and we just did a quick zoom and and just hit it off and you know i kind of really dug her vibe and what she was wanting to do with the movie and all that fun stuff and then um she ended up uh liking what i had to say or whatever my vibe was and wanted me to do the movie and so we did and uh it was a not a typical mark Wahlberg movie i would say you know what i can say that it was a definitely a lower budget than a lot of his films but this was a passion project for him um quick story is you know it is based on father Stuart long who if you google him you can see exactly who he was and what he was up to it was a loose you know interpretation of his life but it followed the key things which was he was an athlete boxer got injured decided to go to hollywood to become an actor uh met somebody there got into a really bad accident had a vision and this really happened and he had this calling basically after his accident uh from the virgin mary uh, you know and he ended up uh changing his path and wanted to go to seminary went and had to work his way into a seminary because the seminary is like, you know, you're a boxer. You're not the typical priest, you know, material, you know, he was a, whether, you know, he was a rough guy and ended up, uh, you know, uh, getting in and, and doing it. And I don't want to ruin the rest of the movie to, for you, but uh, you watch the movie and you'll see the rest of it. But it was a tricky one because much like, uh, unlike other movies, when you schedule a movie, it's you schedule the movie that makes the most sense for everybody, mm-hmm. whether it's shooting the whole thing in order, whether it's shooting out an actor, shooting out a location. There's multiple ways that we skin that cat, you know, for lack of a better term. And for this one, because Mark's character went through such a progression and change, the request was let's shoot it in order. So that way he can change as we go and we can change his look and not have to go backwards and forwards. As you know, any movie you see, you know, there's wigs, there's facial hair, there's, you know, fake mustaches. They're done right. You can't tell. They're not done right. You can tell. But also it take, it's time consuming. It's this, it's all that. But again, this was a much lower budget than he was used to um, because it was his passion project. You know, Mark was a producer on it as well with his producing partner and, and so he's like, can we shoot it in order? So we had to do our best efforts to do that. And we actually did. We did a great job, amazing crew and pulled it off and shot it in way less days than he's used to shooting a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone was very happy. And I, I've seen a little bit of the film. It looks amazing. Uh, uh, Rosalind, a.k.a. Rosie, um, did an amazing job. And I'm actually really proud of this one. And I can't say that about all of the films I've worked on, uh, but this one, yeah, I am I'm very proud of it. Yeah. When I saw the the trailer for it and I heard you talk about it, I'm, I was sort of surprised that Mark Wahlberg did this movie because yeah. it's, it's not a big action flick, you know, and it looks really interesting. If you do, you know, again, I, we all know Mark as his persona, like you said, mm-hmm. the Transformers and the action movies and these big, you know, not, not even Transformers. You can name a thousand movies that Mark did where there's something blowing up or he's chasing or running or, you know, stuff like that. We didn't have one explosion in this whole movie. Uh, <laughs> one really good, one really awesome stunt uh, that Sean pulled off in his team. But uh, 
you know, it was, again, it was a passion project because Mark is, and people may or may not know this, uh, is a very religious man of God, I would say, you know, and he, um, he's been wanting to make this movie for a while and he credits, you know, the church and uh, his, his priest at the time for basically turning his life around. Because, you know, a lot of people know about Mark and the, the music and the, you know, all that stuff and then turning into acting and all that. But he was headed down a real bad path just north of you, you know, up in Boston and in, in the Boston area. And, uh, you know, uh, the family priest basically said, look, dude, you, you got a choice to make, you know, and and uh, that's what turned him around. And, mm. and so he's been a very he's a very family oriented you know uh faith-based man and, and yeah. so it's funny because you see his movies you go oh it's not really but yes total extreme pro um you know couldn't have enjoyed my time working with him more so so yeah that's really that's really awesome to, to hear uh and yeah what, yeah it, it is definitely yeah. not his normal fare yeah. Yeah. yeah but he does I mean, put his spin on it it's really kind of it's actually funny too mm-hmm. you know oh, as really? you see that yeah it's actually there's some really funny bits in it because it's still mark he's a funny mm-hmm. guy mm-hmm. but you know this is but it's also it's very true to him too because you know he's a rough and tumble guy who turned himself around much like father Stew. you know yeah so what role does mel gibson have in the movie mel mel plays his dad uh, okay. again who was based on bill bill long who was, um, you know, uh, Stuart Long's actual dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he plays his father and and to work Mel, to watch Mel work. And I know there's controversy. I won't get into all that uh, with Mel, mm-hmm. but on a professional, on a working level and a colleague level, uh, extreme professional, very knowledgeable. Obviously, the man has done some amazing work in his past. And um, but it, I think delivered an amazing performance just sitting there on set every day and watching him work was really kind of cool yeah well he's you know, uh a religious guy too right yeah we yeah. actually yeah uh, you know this will all come out again you know when the movie comes out but not a huge secret but the church that plays for the seminary in the movie is actually mel's church oh okay it's a church that he has out you know i don't want to say where it is but it's out uh out west of here mm-hmm. uh you know closer over towards the the malibu area mm-hmm. um and uh, it's a church that he's had for i believe uh, about 20 years that that's built and it's just a, a beautiful spanish style um uh, anglo i believe anglo-catholic church and uh but just gorgeous beautiful church he was he was kind enough to you know let production use it and uh we we shot that as our seminary that's where uh, Stuart went to the seminary. Yeah, he, he he did. The one he went to, I think, was in Oregon. I want to say uh, again, uh, the, but we didn't play it there. We played it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to that movie. Um, just because I'm, I, I think it's great to see a movie come out. You know, that's simple and uh, inspiring. You know, that's that has actors like Mark Wahlberg and yeah, Gibson yeah. in it. You know, so I, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and, and because of Mark and because of Mel and because of those, you know, that team that they put together, the, the supporting cast is ridiculous. Uh, you mm. know, Jackie Jackie Weaver, another Academy Award, you know, nominee or winner. Forgive me for not knowing exactly, 
but but Jackie is incredible. Plays his mom. Jackie plays Stewart's mom, and then uh, Malcolm McDowell plays the uh, the head of the seminary, and <laughs> it, it's and down the line, you know. Mm-hmm. It, the last movie that I watched that I really remember that was had this religious theme uh, was a movie called I Can Only Imagine. It was based off that song. Um, oh yeah, 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 the country yeah. one, right? Yeah, it was it yeah, Dennis song? Quaid was in it. Yes, Dennis yes, Quaid yes, was yes. in it. Yes. Yeah, so I remember watching that movie and it got like bad reviews, but I really liked it. And uh, yeah, but I yeah, the funny I thing, that. the funny thing about this movie is when we were making it, it it's tricky. It's not a you know faith based is a loose term, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, when you say faith based, people think more along that line or letters to God or you know clean cut very you know clean religious movie and, and i say that without you know the vulgarities or whatever the uh, that they do but this movie yes it is faith driven it is about a man who becomes a priest ultimately but it is not as clean you know there's no there's no uh, violence or nudity but the language is there yeah because that's who the guy was yeah you know and so it, it is a little tricky because it fi- we're like, well, is it faith based? And if you put that label on it, sometimes it it pigeonholes it. But um, this one is a little different than your typical faith based, but also mm-hmm. has a, a definite positive message. It's a you know, it, it's hard to decipher. You, I don't want to ruin it for you, but when you see it, you'll see what I mean by it is uplifting. But there's some stuff, you know. So, but a, a very positive message at the end. Great. So, yeah. So, I mean, I have some other questions about some other movies that you've been on to. And that I I've done they... that are not nearly a faith-based film? Yes. Well, yeah. Well, The Water Boy. <laughs> yes. Not nearly. Not even close. Yeah. That was that was my... The Water Boy was my first feature movie. Uh, like, big feature film mm-hmm. that I did. And uh, I did that one while still in Orlando. That was one of my... Uh, one of my last shows in Orlando that I did because I did meet uh, the AD team was from Los Angeles, mostly. And then there was local ADs as well, who I knew, and that's how I got on it. But for my first film and stuff like that, it was really fun. It was great. Adam, Adam is just a fun guy, um, you know, and to, to work with him. And that was my first of three or four movies that I kind of got to do with Adam and his company and his team. Um, but it's, it's funny because no matter what we're doing, comedy, drama, action, it's still hard, man. It's still, you know, we're still there to make a movie and still get it done on that movie. I was just the key PA. So I, you know, I was on set all the time, which was great because mm-hmm. there's various positions in our business where some people never even know what the set looks like, you know, uh, because you never get to go onto the set. Uh, and this was even before COVID when the restrictions are even tighter now, but there's positions that people don't even get to go there, but that position, I was actually got to be on set all the time. And we got to shoot again, one of those things where it's like, wow, things I get to do. We got to shoot in the citrus bowl, um, where they, where they play the citrus bowl game every year in Orlando. And, um, but it was a quite an experience cause it was a big, big, but small movie at the time, you know? You know, they were still not, it wasn't a hundred million dollar budget. Maybe might've been, but I don't think so. So, but um, yeah, well, I'm looking fun. at it. 
the budget for the there Water Boy, $23 million. Wow, that's it? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah guess budget, 20 years $23 ago. Million. I guess 20 years ago, we could do it for that much money. And it so. did, what, 86? Uh, yeah, it did okay. It still, yeah. it still airs to this day. You know, Amazing movie. Through. Absolutely it, hilarious. It, and then, you know, you know, the movie Radio with, uh, with, um, uh, or, or I'm drawing a blank on his name all of a sudden, but uh, the movie Radio with um, Cuba Gooding Jr., there we go, uh, was basically derived from the same source material. Mm-hmm. It was, it was about a, a gentleman who had a learning disability. And, you know, obviously the Waterboy version wasn't, he didn't have a learning disability. He was just a, you know, slow guy i guess but um he bobby boucher is just that just bobby boucher and um and so it was derived from the same source though so yep. one of them you know radio took it on the dramatic serious path and Waterboy took it on the on the the you know the comedic goofy adam path mm-hmm. but uh it was still you know there's there's a scene there where you know our other cousin dennis um we were shooting in the citrus bowl and because we needed to make the stadium look very full, a lot of it was done with visual effects. You know, we had about 400 extras a day, but you put them in a stadium that holds over 80,000. Yeah. It looks, yeah. You can't fill it. So we had about 400. We would dress them into the frame just like, okay, here's the shot. And then we go, okay, take them and fill those seats right there. Great. Okay. Now we're going this way. Now fill those seats. And that was my job. I was the guy I would stand on the field, tell the other PAs and aid, you know, in uh, in the stands. Okay, guys, now pick them up. You know, take the whole group and slide them to section five. Yeah, and up to row twenty, whatever. And so there was one day we actually needed a couple thousand, and to to hire all those would be tough. So they did a, a local giveaway. So the radio station was like, "Hey, come on down, watch this new Adam Sandler movie get get made." and uh, be in the crowd. And so unbeknownst to me, I found out after the fact that Dennis was actually in the stands. I'm like, hey, you should have told me. I would have <laughs> brought, brought you down the field. You could have come down and, and watched anything. But it's like, nah, I just wanted to do it and have fun. And so, you know, they gave away TVs and ca- a car. I think they gave away a car. And Wow. Because all that, you know, was cheaper than hiring 8,000 extras and having mm-hmm. people showed up. And, and I, I don't, I never heard the ads that got their the people to come because I was busy and working, but I, you know, they ran ads, I guess on the, on their local radio station. And they said, okay, the name of the team is the mud dogs and their colors are orange and blue, much like the Gators. Uh, that was another fun thing about it. Um, but people showed up with body paint and signs that said mud dogs <laughs> And an orange and blue, you know, cape. Mm-hmm. Like one guy showed up with a cape. So if you look at the scene when I think it's after halftime in the movie, where Adam and the team come back out onto the field, there's a shot of the tunnel and all these people. That was when we had them all, and I think at the very end too. So we used them a couple different scenes, but that's the one I remember the most. Mm-hmm. But the dedication these people showed up with blew my mind, and they stayed all day. And you know, and it, it was it wouldn't have gotten done without them. That's you awesome. Know. They, they would have had to do a much bigger uh, VFX budget. That's for sure. Yeah. You know? So nowadays you, it's all changed. How do you, how did you edit the crowd into seats? Like, how did you do that in 98? Luckily I didn't do that. Uh, 
but what they did was it's called tiling. We still do that today. You know, it's okay. a, my job as the first assistant director, just to kind of give you a quick thing is my job is to uh, I work directly with the director. I schedule the movie. The producers will come to me and say, we need to do this in 30 days, whatever, mm-hmm. it is, you know, on that movie, I was just a PA. I didn't schedule. I just was there helping along. But so what happens is they got to come to me and they got to say, okay. And I have to look at it and go, okay, well, this is a VFX shot. Uh, do we have the, do we have the extras to do it? If not, I need to allot time for the visual effects team to do their pass and do what they have to do. Um, nowadays, it's a little easier, uh, you know, but the, the technique is still the same. Basically you, you, know, you do your frame, you set your frame. And then what you do is while you're still in that frame, if you fill the lower half of the frame with extras, right? You then say, okay, now everything up here, let's now put them up there. And so what happens is the VFX team and the editors then splice that section out and put it over. Nowadays with digital, it's a lot easier. Back then with film, it was, you know, a little tougher. They had to marry the two images together, but you have to basically go, okay, we're going to, and we did this on, on the water boy and uh, a couple other sports films that I've done since is you take them. Like I said, I had 400 people. So I'd go, okay. in this wide shot, we can only fill behind. It's easier to put people behind. Right. So if you have all of your football players standing here and then the crowd is behind them, you want real people there. It's easier to put real people then above them where there's no other people or nothing crossing the frame. You just throw a bunch of people up there and then they take it and they, they ramp it, you know, they, they, uh, they basically mat them in is how they do it. So it's, it's time consuming, you know, because you then have to move them all the, the movie I just did in Portland because of COVID and it's, it's kind of come back this way. Uh, but because of the COVID restrictions, even more so a year, year and a half ago, we were trying to limit the amount of people on set. Right. So we were relying very heavily on visual effects. So we did a battle of the bands for this movie called uh, uh, metal Lords um, comes out soon on Netflix, I believe. And uh, but the thing is when we were looking at the stage, it was easy. Our, our actors were on the stage doing the battle of the bands. We had a couple people, you know, to shoot over their heads and behind them. But when we looked out into the audience, we only had 50 people to fill a 200 seat arena or a 200 seat venue. And so we did exactly that. So we kept the camera there. And then what we said, okay, now you guys, everybody go from this little box right here. So I would sit there on stage with a laser pointer and go, okay, put people from this line to this line and all the way back to there. Okay. Now run the whole scene, play the music. Everybody have fun right now. Take them all, put them over here. Now put them over there. Now put them up in the bleacher, up in the balcony. So you'd have to run around and do all those different things. But that was because of COVID. Because we only had 50, you know, they didn't want to fill 200 people inside of an arena or, or like I said, a, a venue, a music venue. Mm-hmm. So, so whether it's budget driven, location driven, COVID driven, there's uh, many reasons why you have to do stuff like that, where you have to multiply your people. Uh, and that, yeah. that's, but it's, it's fun. But again, I have to know. At least I would like to myself. And I don't know about other people. We're all different. The way we handle things in this business is I like to know how everything's done so I can help the best I can. So if I know, okay, we have to do 
three tiling shots, it's going to take 20 minutes for each one. Then it helps me schedule appropriately and get through our day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting to hear. I mean, and, and something else I have a question for. So paranormal activity. Yes. Right. So there's a scene in that. I don't know. I think, you know what I'm, what I'm about to reference, but I'm Dennis, our cousin, Dennis yes. actually showed me this the first time. So there's a scene in the movie where they're showing some wedding pictures. Yes. And which one is that? Two or three? That would be paranormal activity three. Three. All right. So yes. I don't know if you want to tell the story about how that happened, but that'd be uh, cool. yeah. It, the all right. So when we were part, when we were prepping the movie, that was a that was a very unique uh, style of filmmaking. The paranormal activity films. Um, when we did two, just to take you back a little bit. So as infamously, paranormal activity was a huge hit for a low budget right mm -hmm. uh, the creator Oren uh, shot the whole thing with Mike uh, 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 Mika and uh, and Katie down at his house in San Diego uh, it spread it got out there word of mouth boom the movie does well now let's make a sequel but let's try and keep it at that same small crew small approach right uh, because it worked so well I guess in the first one so on two it was literally, uh, myself and maybe two or three other people in my department each department was whittled down to almost nothing a typical movie you have what's called a base camp which is where all the actors get ready and makeup and hair and all that stuff that's where their trailers are we had none of that no trailers no no base camp it was a house so we got three houses in a row the hero house um, right in the middle on one side was the makeup and hair quote-unquote base camp where the actors would get ready the other side was the production office that was it no no trucks no nothing very small footprint so when we came to making the movie it was a very collaborative group but small group i was very lucky to have good input in that so when i did two i got asked to come back for three uh, we brought in these, uh, you know, the studio brought in these directors, Henry and Rel, who had just come off of Catfish, um, the success of that movie. And luckily, they were very collaborative as well. They were like, yeah, what what can we do together? You know, so these movies are very uh, malleable as, as we're making them. We're coming up with ideas between the writers, the directors. Uh, luckily enough, I was able to have some input. Um, it just so happens written into the script was the main character whose name was Dennis, it was funny, um, was a, at the time, because it took place in the 80s, he was a videographer for weddings. And it was based on actually, I think it was Adam Goodman, who was uh, at the time the head of motion picture um, for Paramount, who was, you know, he kind of spearheaded all the paranormals at Paramount. So I think he, I think it was him that had like a company or somebody within the, the execs had a, a thing where they were a videographer in the 80s. So that was kind of where that stemmed from. And that gave us the excuse for the presence of cameras in the house to catch this, you know, found footage style. So that was our, that was a kind of our doorway in. So when we're having these conversations about, oh, well, you know, should we go now do a photo shoot and make these eighties looking wedding photos and, and all that stuff. And I got, I went to him, I go, guys, it just so happens. My uncle and my aunt got married in 1985. I go, so, and I got, I, go, I could ask them for their pictures. And they said, yeah, you, you do I go, yeah, they they have all the pictures that we don't have to recreate them. Any of that. So called up uncle Angelo 
I said, Hey, do you want to be in a movie? And he's like, what? I'm like, send me your pictures. And what we did was we got all their pictures, their photo albums, uh, scanned them, duplicated them, sent him back his originals. And, uh, and that's how, you know, my family's also in the movie because I was able to say, Hey, we, we got photos. We need them. We made, you know, he signed a couple things. It's okay. Here you go. And, uh, Hence the reason. And it's so funny because being there on set, I know that this is my family. And we're literally, as you saw the probably you've seen the shot where we start really close mm-hmm. on the picture of them at their wedding and then kind of zoom out and all that stuff. And it was in a couple, a uh, couple more shots too. But that was the basic idea of how that got in there is just right time, right place. And I just happen to know that they, you know, had real pictures. We didn't have to duplicate them and bring other people in and because, you know, even when you do that to the best of your ability, especially with a small film, you don't always nail the replication process. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you can kind of tell that they're like like the wedding singer. It's like wasn't really shot in the 80s, but you could tell it was yeah. using everything from the 80s and kind of there's that heightened flashback to it. Whereas these were natural. This is actually is what it was. So that's and I think that kind of helped it as well. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I'm really interested to hear. I mean, you've done a lot of different movies, mm-hmm. but the reoccurring theme throughout most of the movies that you do is horror. What sort of steered you towards that uh, genre of film? Uh, availability? No, um, a couple things. Um, so, okay, Paranormal 2 was my kind of first uh, venture with Blumhouse in that, in that group. Um, they are very well known for the horror movies, right? So when you kind of get into a, a groove and a niche, you know, it keeps you busy and you keep going. It just so happens I kind of fell into it, to be honest with you. It's when I got paranormal, um, that group was making a lot of movies at the time. And it just so happens that that's the type that they were. As I've been going along and, and progressing throughout the business, I've been able to kind of go, okay, well, I ventured outside of that finally, you know, and, and not there's anything wrong with it. You know, they're, they're definitely a, uh, uh, a challenge to make, but I kind of like the challenge too. That's one of the things I do like about the style of films and the horror genre is so broad, right? It's like you could go from Halloween, you know, the Halloween film, which is straight up horror because you got a guy killing people to paranormal, which is the, you know, the ethereal side of, of it. And that's, that's terrifying in its own way. That's why it was so successful because it made people think about their own stuff. And then you have some thrillers that are not necessarily horror, but they fall into that genre. Right. But what I do like about them is the challenge of making them, you know, you got to come up with nine times out of 10, a horror movie that falls into there is a, a lower budget film. Um, the nice thing about it is you're not stuck on it for half a year. You know, you're, you're on, you're kind of in and out, you shoot it in, whether it's 20 days, 30 days, whatever, a lot of these bigger movies you're on for at least five, six months. Mm -hmm. And that's just making the movie that's prep and shooting the movie six, seven, some, some of the bigger ones, even longer. Um, it's, it's, it can be taxing. So, you know, because of this the nature of the horror films and the, um, the, the shorter schedules, the challenging stuff. I just kind of 
dug it and I, and I don't mind doing those. I do like venturing out every once in a while to, you know, keep me on my toes, but that's really why is I was in with Blumhouse for 10 years straight. And, and I just chose to kind of stick with them and work with them. And that's what they were making at the time. So, but again, awesome. wouldn't, wouldn't change that at all. Again, it's, it's a tough one, but I enjoyed them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not massive into horror. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a, a, a movie enthusiast, but I mean, I definitely enjoy some movies. Um, but it, it, a movie that recently came out that I absolutely loved was Dune. The first part of Dune. I, I got to tell you, um, if, uh, if I don't watch that soon with Mary, she's going to kill me. It uh, was amazing. Make sure you watch it with the stereo blasted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hans Zimmer. I mean, I okay. Well, I, I guess that guy, so. That guy's amazing. Oh, my. Have you met him before? I have not. Uh, no. Unfortunately, no. Um, one of the few I haven't. Yeah. But, I mean, amazing. And there's a, there's a battle scene where there's bagpipes in the background. And, you know, bagpipes are amazing. Great instrument. Um, and there's obviously the tie to, you know, our, my, our family. I mean, yeah, definitely. And um, that's one of the reasons to, to just backtrack really quick. That's one of the reasons I took father Stu. to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, the signs were all pointing to doing it. Mel, as we know, you know, your, your grandfather, my uncle, Mm -hmm. um, loved Braveheart. And so when I heard, okay, Mel, okay. He's. That's kind of cool. That'd be, you know, Uncle Billy will look down on me for for that one and, and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And then when I found out that his character name was Bill, and the director, her nickname was Rosie, so yeah. all the signs, uh, all the signs yeah. pointed to me doing this movie. As as yeah. you know, our grand our grandmother was Rosie, and uh, and so it was definitely a, a, a sign of doing that. You know. Mm-hmm. Not that there were bagpipes in stew, but because of Mel and Braveheart and the character name and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, I got to do this movie. Should yeah. the, sign, the signs were all there. Braveheart's so. great as well. I love that. Amazing. Yeah. there, There's a one scene in the movie, though. What's, um? oh, my gosh, this guy that was in Harry Potter and he's a redhead and he's, what's that guy's name? Who was Mel Gibson's best friend? It was William Wallace's best friend in the movie. You know what I'm talking about? He was the guy. Yeah. He was a he was a guy in Harry Potter with the one eye. He had like the, oh yes, yeah. I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I just I can't remember the char- I can't remember the actor's name all of a sudden. But, yeah, but uh, I remember there's a there's a scene in the movie where he's running with his axe, and the axe is obviously foam. Yeah, and then you can see it like moving back and forth. And I'm like, That's, oh man, <laughs> I'm nitpicking, but I was just like, well, funny. one of the one of the unfortunate side effects of home video and and digital and you know being able to mm. watch a movie at the beck and call is the ability to then pick it apart and yeah what what some folks don't realize is when we're making a movie you know on the day we're like oh yeah that looks fine and then you know you go down the line and you realize oh god well in editorial you realize oh god that thing moved a certain way and now it's remember when movies came out when they first came out You'd go see it once in the theater and that's it. You couldn't sit there and nitpick it. You could go back mm-hmm. many times and do it. But the, the ease now to sit and watch a movie and uh, and be able to find all these gaffes and these, you know, people people love to find all these mistakes in these in movies. But they got to realize that it's because, you know, they're shot over multiple days. They're shot 
an axe, the reason it's rubber is to be safe. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the number one thing is to, you know, make sure everybody's safe because all we're doing is making a movie. It's all make believe. Mm-hmm. No matter how true of a story it is, no matter how scary, funny, whatever, it's all for entertainment. All right. Mm-hmm. So we, there's, there's reason it's called, you know, the illusions of movies, you know, it's all it is. It's one big illusion. So, yeah. Well, and another movie I watched recently, uh, I watched Inception for the first time. That one is a, you know, messes for the lack of a, or a better word with your mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no, uh, Nolan's very good at that. And, and yep. you know, but the thing is, and again, like I said, you know, nothing is ever the same in this business. When you get to Nolan's, because I know a couple of people have worked on some of his films and somebody who does a lot of uh, the post work on his film is um is a good friend and the thing is the guy is definitely a perfectionist uh, i've never had the the uh, pleasure of working with him um but from what i hear again it's all you know hearsay and stuff but for someone like him he knows every frame what he wants it to be but also because of the budget because of his success because of his prowess he's able to fine-tune things and really take the time to to mess with the audience you know mm-hmm. and and but it's because he's prepared that's the one key thing in our business no matter what you're doing preparation is the key uh he just has a little more and a little more time and a little more ability because of who he is and what he's yeah. done and he's earned it you know yeah well i mean spoiler alert i mean like the ending scene perfectly encapsulates that because it's like does does the top ever stop spinning it, again only someone like him can go I don't know. You guys figure it out. You know, exactly. it's like he can leave it like that. And people go, oh, man, Nolan, that guy's crazy. Yeah. You know, oh, you see what he did in that movie? And it and wobbles. Like, it wobbles. Yeah. And you're like, oh, ah. there it goes. Oh, no, it's still going. Yeah. <laughs> so whereas some of the greatest things in films were actually come from, you know, one of my favorite stories is, you know, and again, I wasn't there, but I've heard the story and, and, I've, and it's true is there's a scene in uh, Rocky, you know, Rocky was a low budget movie mm-hmm. and, and, you know, Stallone fought hard to do all that. And so if you go back and watch it, it's an exceptional movie. It really is. Yes. It's a, it's boxing, but at the heart of it, it's a, about a guy and it's a love story, you know? And so there's a scene where he's sitting there in bed with Adrian and there's this, just a slow push and he's talking about how nervous he is about the fight and all that stuff. And, it was they were trying to stop them for the day they were done they're like look we're going we don't have time to shoot this scene we got to go we got to get done and you know this is the film business it's a business we're spending people's money whoever whether it's a studio whether it's a private investor we're still in charge of a lot of money right and we're spending it um so you can't just go willy-nilly so you go over schedule you got to give something up and then hold on a second sorry it's okay Okay. Uh, but so the, um, so, you know, they were like, you got to get this done. So we got to, we got to finish. He's like, give me one shot. It was done in one take and that's what's in the movie. And it's probably one of the best scenes in the movie and shows his, you know, his ability to, to act as well. Mm-hmm. And so, but again, just people watching that don't understand what went behind that, like what was behind that scene and what it took to get that one little scene on the screen. 
take that out of the movie. It's a whole different movie. You know, you don't show, you don't see his fear. You don't see his, you know, his, his, like that, his fear to, to do this fight, you know, it comes off. Uh, he would just come off as like, yeah, I got this. No problem. Yeah. 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 Well, that's so. very, it's a great story. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's funny when I was looking through IMDb and I saw that you worked on a, um, a fairly odd summer, which I thought was kind of a. What's um, that? Where's that one? That's 2014. You know, the the fairly odd parents like the fairies. I didn't do that one. It says it's on IMDb. That is strange. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. It says um, you're a third assistant director on the yeah, movie. See, that wasn't me. I'm going <laughs> to look it up right now. Yeah, you're on here. It says it. Fairly odd summer. Yeah. The, the okay. Nickelodeon. Are you, looking, are you looking at the right thing? Let's see. Hold on. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm on it. I'm on it. Is all your movies are on here? Okay. I'm going to look now because that's confusing me. Let's see. Hold on. What no, was it? Right. 2014. 2014. Under television? Yeah. It's a television movie. Oh my God, that is hysterical. That is wrong. <laughs> I have never okay. seen that on there. That is so funny. How did that? I, I don't I, know, but I thought that was funny. I'm like, huh, he does all these. No, no, and never did that. A Nickelodeon. Nope, never did a, a Nickelodeon thing. <laughs> now I'm looking at, now I got to look at it and go, yeah, okay, yeah, I did all those. Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. else, everything else looks right. Yeah. That's so. so do you put these on here? So for those of you listening, uh, Basically, I am up on IMDb and he's on here and all of his movies and TV shows that he's been involved with are on here. And a fairly odd summer is on here, um, which I was not. No, that's funny. I sometimes I do put them on a uh, majority of the times. I don't know. Somebody in an office at IMDb uh, goes through all the credits, I guess, and puts them on. You should see if they could put um, like some big films on here or something. Yeah, I'm just going to start <laughs> making things up too. Yeah, Maybe yeah. I get the residuals for them yeah right but i've done some big films come on well like well like like i'm talking like get them to put star wars on there yeah no i didn't do that yeah (laughs) but But, um i wish so something else i wanted to ask you about is fantasy island right that came out a couple years ago um i i watched that movie you see that right there oh yeah oh look at that yep that that is that is pig face yep i remember Uh, that and then see that hat right there Mm mm-hmm that's one of the cowboy hats uh, from the last purge. Oh, okay. Or the forever purge as the forever saying, purge, the forever purge. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there are several things. That, and speaking of paranormal, uh, test your thing. Can you tell which paranormal that's from? Oh, there it is right there. I cannot. Yes. I, I, to, that to be clock con- is from paranormal activity four. Oh, that's the one that was in um, the, the bedroom of, of the young lady. We had a couple of them, but that's one of them. So my experience with paranormal activity, the reason why I've I mentioned it is because so I was driving down to Florida when Dennis and Rebecca came up to Rhode Island. I drove okay, back yeah. down, down with them. This was 2016. Yeah, and, yeah, I remember. Yep. And yeah, well, yeah, that was yeah, okay. And um and we stopped in Virginia, saw some of Dennis's friends, and they were watching the movie. So that's oh sort God, of that's like funny. that's like the only way that I mean, I, I got, I, listen, I am a wuss 
Yeah, I cannot watch. If I watch a horror movie, I will wake up in the middle of the night in a sweat and be terrified. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Uh, while making Paranormal Activity 2, after reading it and shooting a little bit, I had probably one of the, and I remember it to this day, I, I can't remember the actual nightmare, but it, it got to me. And and it messed me up. It just there was just something in the script. I had just read the script and it was really well done. Chris, you know, Chris Landon, who has now made some of one of the you know better horror comedy movies in the past couple of years, um, was involved from Paranormal Two on, and he uh, he just wrote some messed up stuff, man. And in reading it, you know, I it messed with my head, and I ended mm-hmm. up having some nightmares. I'm like, okay, good. Thank God I actually work on the thing because I know it's not real. But <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. If I don't work on the movie and I watch it, I'm a wuss. Mm-hmm. If I work on it, at least I'm like, yeah, I was, I was over there when we shot this. It's like you know, yeah, I, I know, it's, yeah, I know it's coming. It. Yeah, it, it uh, it's there's that you know there's that weird adrenaline rush that people get from watching these type movies and yeah, and to know you know we call those like when we when we make people jump popcorn moments you know. Because we want those in horror movies. You want yep. the popcorn on the floor. Oh, my God. It's so funny you say that. Jaws. Do you ever hear the story of Uncle Butch and Jaws? No. You know Uncle, you know Uncle Butch. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. So we have this family friend who's really good friends with my... It was really good friends with my grandfather. Um, and they went and saw Jaws in the theater. And the scene where, they, where Richard Dreyfus is scuba diving and the head... Yep. The severed head comes. My uncle Butch is sitting right next to my grand my grandfather, and he throws a popcorn up in the air and screams and was terrified. <laughs> the the inception of the popcorn moment. There you go. Mm-hmm. So and and literally, it's something we refer to. It's like, oh, that's a popcorn moment, and, and you want that jump. You want that adrenaline rush because it puts them on the edge of the seat, and then it just and then you want to settle them down. You know, I wish I could say these are all formulaic and, and it's easy to just follow, but it's not, but you do kind of want to have that roller coaster ride on these type of movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and when I, I, I brought up fantasy Island because um, I had a, a question, like what made you guys want to make it into a, I mean, horror esque film. Cause it's totally different than the original, right? It was. Uh, so the director, Jeff Wadlow, who, mm-hmm. that was, that was my second film with, uh, and I've d- just finished my third with him in, in Atlanta. Um, and and Jeff just had this concept. He's like, what if, you know, because if you go back and look at the old series with Ricardo Montalban and and, and stuff, they were a little messed up, right? Mm. So there, there was a little, there was always the tone of be careful what you wish for. And even in the series, even if it wasn't dark and jump scary, the original series did have a tone because I remember Jeff telling me his idea for this uh, prior to shooting it. And, and so that's where the kind of the concept came from. Jeff just watched the old episodes and was like, this is kind of messed up. He goes, how about we just go full bore and actually make it a, you know, horror thriller movie. And, and look, I know that that movie's gotten some, you know, mixed reviews, this and that I thought, for a feature version of a of a serialized television show that each week had a different guest and you had to change the story actually two guests every week mm-hmm. um on the series yeah it was not an easy feat to make a whole movie because 
it was, you know, you fill your hour and a half with a full story about not just two people going to the island. You had to mix it up. You had to bring more than just two people to the island. And so, um, but that the concept came from there. And I, I actually enjoyed, we had enjoyed making the movie for sure. And, and I think um, it came out pretty fun, you know, yeah. and again, it's not about, you know, uh, you know, serious, dramatic, you know, ooh, this is a this is a, a timely, poignant film. No, it's just a fun horror movie, you know. Mm-hmm. But I I think it was done pretty well. Yeah, so and I'm sorry, I'm 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 blanking on the name of the actor, but he was in Ant Man and Michael uh, Pena. Yeah, Michael Pena. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. funny. He's always hilarious, and I, I was surprised when he was in that movie. I mean, to have to play that type of a character, right? I mean, it's different it was, than what he usually plays. Yeah, yeah. It was actually Jeff's choice. Uh, Jeff, that's who want, Jeff wanted at the time. Hmm. Uh, when we were getting, because I asked him, I said, so who do you want to play Rourke? And, you know, because back, you know, back during the original show, Ricardo Montalban was this very, you know, uh, stoic, very, you know, present guy and, and, and demanded like, the the attention that whole rich corinthian leather thing was a fraud anyway that's not even a real thing but if you listen to that guy he'd say he could sell you you know he could sell you a, a bridge anywhere you know I, i'm losing the antho- the um, the analogy of it all but he could make you do anything whereas yeah michael Pena was a different didn't have that such the gravitas but more of the lighter tone to it but also a little mysterious and he played it well mm-hmm. and um but yeah jeff had to fly to while we were in Fiji, we shot the movie in Fiji. Uh, Jeff flew to the Gold Coast of Australia to meet with Michael while he was shooting uh, Dora the Explorer. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, speaking of a, a very different, you know, yeah, uh, branch of film that he did. There's see now there's a Nickelodeon tie. There yeah. you go. Yeah. You go. Yeah. Maybe they got confused. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go on IMDb and fix that because I know. First yeah. of all, I've never been a third assistant director. Uh <laughs> so I don't know. That's true. And then yes, I've never done that show. That a third a third assistant director is a term they use in outside of the US. Oh, okay. Uh Canada, um uh, the, the English system uses third assistant directors okay interesting Mm. so i mean i don't know uh you know actually here's a good question yeah so we're both big star wars fans right and uh yeah you have your big star wars poster signed by mark and carrie by the way have you oh wow that's pretty sweet i mean i i love my darth maul signature which is ray's a good man he was a cool dude Okay. And maybe coming on the podcast in the future if we can make that work yes, out. We'll see if we can make that work. Because <laughs> that would be awesome. But Ray, so if I'm, you're listening, go on the show. Yeah, feel we'll feel free to, feel free to text us to him after it's posted. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, so with this influx, it feels of content of Star Wars, sort of like how what's happening, what happened with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Star Wars has always been this this thing that everybody loves and cherishes and it hasn't had the same effect that the marvel universe has had and it seems like disney is trying to turn it into a cinematic universe yes they are do you think that that is a good thing or a bad thing for star wars as in a story not profitability but as in story i think anytime you open it up to something like that you're definitely opening yourself up to more criticism Mm-hmm. So 
one of the fun things about Star Wars was the mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let's go with Boba Fett. The, what exactly. made Boba Fett so cool was that he was this mysterious character who showed up. People loved him. Don't know why, but he was just this, you know, this. And, and again, he was very Western style. You know, that's hence the hence the Mandalorian being that mm-hmm. Western theme. Uh, I think what happens is if there there can be too much of a good thing. And so when you start to then crack that open and start to expose more of it, um, it can also it can get muddled. It can also. No matter who you are, uh, any filmmaker, studio, whatever, I don't think you're from source material you're ever going to make it as cool as the person watching it wants it to be in their head yeah agreed one of my one of my things is and i always say this is the reason jaws was so amazing because it didn't show you everything Mm -hmm. right so as you notice down the line as they started to show you more and more of the shark and more that kind of lost its luster and it lost its mystery so that's why those movies kind of started to decline is the more they showed you the less interesting the less the less mysterious it became so i do think that as much as as big as the quote-unquote universe is in the star wars universe that's the new term now for all these movies mm-hmm. is they're, they're their own universes um it's you know it, it because star wars was a movie first and not a comic book like the marvel movies um and those were over the years source material has been building and building and building. And now they're just kind of getting them out there and showing them to the, to the fans who, again, you're never going to appease all of them. Um, Star Wars, they're, they're more taking what was created by Lucas and expanding on it. Whereas going mm. back to source material, like the source material is a guy that showed up in, if you go back to the special edition ones, he showed up in the original Star Wars, uh, A New Hope, and but that was later. Well, that wasn't in the seventies. Yeah, you know, decanonized. I mean, there's plenty of source materials yeah. in the legends that they just completely right. like. Kathleen Kennedy com- said, "We have no source source material for what to do with seven, eight, nine. And I'm like, "Well, not just me, but like people in the Star Wars community are like." Uh, hello what have they been making for the past 30 years and books yeah. and comics that you yeah there are completely... books and comics but that's the thing is as a company they have to decide whether or not it's the blueprint yeah that they're gonna follow you know mm-hmm. um and i think one of the you know treating those in essence like a tv series mm. like all the marvel movies tv series they're all treated in theory as a series because a TV series is mapped out, right? They, 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 they basically write out the whole series and not exactly and perfectly dialogue and scenes and sets and everything, but the story arcs are all built in there and they go, okay, by the end of season one, we want this character to go through this journey, you know, and there's one voice, the showrunner that guides the story that way. Mm-hmm. Multiple seasons, they'll change them every once in a while with Marvel in the cinematic universe that they've done, you know, Kevin Feige, is that person he's the showrunner even though it's all different material because there's a lot of stuff to keep track of there right? there has to be somebody to keep it all you got to or else and that's what theme. that's what feloni that's what dave feloni is for the star wars universe mm-hmm. he's kind of become that you know guru to kind of see things through and they 
look, they've tried other things with the other Star Wars movies and whether they were successful or not, or whether the fans liked them or not, the more you veer off that path, the harder it is to go back in the future and say, oh, well, we want to do this now. It's like, well, we did that in that other movie and mm. people are going to people are going to know fans nowadays are way less forgiving. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, it, it, it's just Star Wars has this aura around it that has been cherished for people for such a long time. And yeah. the fact that there wasn't any source material, I mean, source, there wasn't any canon like movie screen things for such a long time. People had such an attachment to it. That's mm. something that Marvel, I mean, there are some people who really enjoyed the comics but they're not as many people and i think that they can get away with doing new things and changing things and yeah. and i just uh i mean when i when my dad and i went and saw episode seven i thought it was great i was like this is gonna there's a bright future i enjoyed Star wars it. i liked it and then eight came out and it's funny i had a really weird reaction the first time i saw it, and i was like i think i really like that and then I went and watched a second time and I was like, holy crap. I think that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I've seen some bad movies before. And I was like, whoa. And then I saw it for a third time. And then it really emphasized what I felt the second time after watching the movie. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, nope. And I'm, and, and the thing is, is Ryan Johnson is super good director. Yeah, I watched look that. At knives out. Yeah, exactly. That movie yeah. came out right after. I thought that was yeah. a really good movie and um, just not, Last Jedi well, was not good. <laughs> what you have to realize is, uh, again, I keep going back to it, is we, we're a business. Right? Mm. We're the show business. Um, and so it, it is not just run by one person. It's not, a, you know, and the smaller the film, yes, the director can oversee everything and do what they want and their vision is, is given. I, again, I didn't work on any of these films. I don't know. I'm talking generally is a lot of studio films do have the, uh, you know, the, the history of having several people involved. So in that can muddle things up. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, well, this was the original concept here, but let's take this little thing here and pluck that out. Let's insert this mm -hmm. thing here. Then you look at it and it doesn't quite fit linearly. So any little speed bump like that along the way and change to the original concept or vision or idea can have that adverse negative reaction from the fans, from the creator, from the director, you know, mm -hmm. and I can't speak for them. I just know on my, my experience, the more people that get involved, the trickier it gets, but again, that's just part of our business. And, and again, we're, we're here to make entertainment and, and art for, you know, lack of a better word. I, Cause when you, when you say art, I'm not talking about, you know, it's something that hangs in a museum, but even that, even that art that's in a museum is up for interpretation. Yeah. Ours, ours is just moving frames with, with sound, you know? Yeah. And so that's the problem with it. It's, it's a interpretive art form. Yeah, definitely. And, and I totally agree with, you know, the fact that I think toxic is a better word sometimes for fans. Although I mean, it can I, be, yeah. I, I guess I, I could, I don't think I'm toxic, but I definitely have my uh, disagreements with how they did seven, eight, and nine and Star Wars. And uh, I wish they had gone a different route. I'm not a fan. And, especially, it, and the sad thing is, is eight ruined episode seven for me. And then episode nine ruined it even more because I yeah. thought, and, and, and the thing that George Lucas 
said is Star Wars is poetry. He said that. And while that's true, it's not an exact copy. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's what in, in retrospect, that's what seven was. And oh, seven, they, seven was a updated version of a new soft hope. reboot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's. And, 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 you know, he fooled J.J. Abrams, I guess, fooled me is a good word, term because he did. I loved it. And I was like, this is awesome. This is Star Wars. Um, and and I think that it lost sort of the inspiration and, and, and filmography and how it was shot. And and especially like when it came to the lightsaber fights, we're getting into some nerdy stuff here. But yeah. I mean, just watching a lot of videos on how those fights were choreographed especially episode three revenge of the Sith, like lots of uh, undertones in terms of samurai and yes, and people don't well, and that realize was, that that was and the then, original concept of the first star Wars. It was yeah. driven from seven samurai or uh, not, yeah. not seven samurai. Uh, but yes, the, the Kurosawa based. Yeah. Films. And then you watch episode seven, eight, nine, and they're just like two kids in the backyard playing with sticks, hitting each other with it. And it's like, like, like and then and then you watch episode eight and then you watch that film room, you know when Kylo Ren and Ray are fighting those the red guards oh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, not only did can you like the second time I watched that I was like whoa like there's a lot of mistakes. I didn't sit there and watch it in slow motion. You're like whoa like there are some like like weapons just disappear. Yeah, you know from shot to shot in a yeah. movie with a budget. I mean how much money those movies get hundreds couple, of millions couple hundred million dollars, yeah. Yeah, yeah and and that they they forget that like things just it's, disappear uh you know to to speak on that because i've been on films and then you yeah. realize is things change look in between setups uh, actor will go put something down then they run in and they take their watch off and they forget or i'm gonna say it's all the actors but yeah that's one thing is and then you know Yes, there is a person there that's supposed to catch that, but there's so many layers that you don't see. It's like, you know, somebody goes, well, I don't have to wear the watch because I'm wearing long sleeves. And all of a sudden the sleeve goes like this and their watch isn't there. And then somebody goes, oh, hey, they didn't have the watch on. Yeah. It's like, again, depending on the movie, depending on the budget, it's shot over three days, shot over one day. Mm -hmm. But again, it's shot over time. It's not all real documentary style film. You know, we take the costume off put the costume on then uh you know my always say the big thing is okay the hair it was over here and then the wind blows and now it's over there and it's just like you can't be perfect all the time yeah and it's just the you know again the 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 advent of digital and paper i mean uh, the you know streaming and all that stuff has definitely opened up the uh magnifying glass uh, for everybody to look at and yeah and, and catch those mistakes unfortunately because no matter what your budget is i just did another movie and it was you know you're always you could have all the time in the world it's still not enough time yeah you're only human everybody yeah, makes mistakes you know? it, it, exactly and it's it's a whole team of people and sometimes those people aren't allowed to do their jobs like hey you know let's prop them up okay well no we got to go the props not here just shoot you know, yeah, that happens. What I thought was interesting is that Mark Hamill sort of warned us before the movie even came out with some hints about he's like, it's just a movie. If it disappoints you, you know, yeah. don't be mad. He, <laughs> he knows more than anybody the 
what those hold to people personally, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. It's the reason I'm in this business is mm-hmm. Star Wars, Back to the Future, you know, Indiana Jones, all these movies. But now I go back and watch them. I go, oh, that, that's a mess up or that's a mess up. And, but I'm also go because I'm there and I'm literally on the front line of making movies. I'm a little more lenient. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's blatantly obvious, I'll go, what, what were they thinking there? Come on. But if there's a little something here and there, I'm a little more lenient. But as a as a person who enjoys movies, it also can be distracting. And that's yeah. what I try. That's what I try to avoid when I'm helping make a movie or when I'm making my own movie is I try to not create that distraction for them to take them out of it. You, that's the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to take the audience out of it by doing something blatantly obvious. Yeah. No. Yeah. So but but again, it's it's a tricky thing to do whether you're a multi-million dollar movie or a five million dollar movie you know or or a fifty thousand dollar movie like yeah you know from any of those and some of those are better it's like the more the more hands you put in the kitchen or in the soup the more muddled it gets unfortunately yeah i mean yeah i i love star wars i can't wait for the kenobi series to come out i really hope they don't mess that up i mean a friend of mine worked on it and i tried to beat him down for some info but i couldn't get any out of him oh yeah well that's the thing i think but he said it's cool he said it's cool. yeah i mean i has the only thing is 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 they said that him uh kenobi and darth vader are gonna fight again which i don't really know how that's gonna Doesn't make sense right? yeah exactly exactly and it's and i hope i hope it's like a dream sequence or something like that and it's doesn't it's called because, fan service you know uh, it's like oh my god yes. about fan service in episode nine it was horrible like yeah. even when even when even when uh the emperor goes do it you know like me yeah. instant like that was a meme for a long time and then it, and then when, <laughs> then when chewy got the medal and i was like oh god oh and yeah that was definitely fan service oh my there. god yeah and it's just like which sometimes can serve you well and sometimes not, you know, it has to be done right. Yeah. That's the problem is uh, you can't please everybody all the time. And then that's the problem with our business is you can't. And when you start to go down that path of doing that, that's when you start to lose your, you know, you have to create this thing. You've got to, and again, it's a, any good movie is led by a really, a driven director who has a vision and hopefully we stick with that vision. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not always there, but we stick with that vision. They get us through the film. They take it all the way through post and, you know, little notes here and there from whoever, but unless you have that through line and that vision, uh, you know, and, and as soon as you start going, well, you know, it'd be cool as if we did that. Okay. That's great. But then if you go back five scenes, it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. You know, so you start inserting these. You can't just drop little cool things in because they're cool. They got to make sense overall, or else you, you know, ruin the whole experience for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 I think it's pretty close to time for wrapping up. I know you got things to do. I, we so. could, we could go on forever. Dude. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> hey, you know what? I, what I can say is, uh, I'm very lucky. I've been doing this for. 20 something years and it's a, it's my career and I couldn't have been luckier to fall into it. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, it, and I have to remind myself sometimes we're just making a move. It's all we're doing, but I do take it very seriously and I take my job seriously and what I do. Um, but I just, you know, ultimately 
I love that people get to see stuff that I uh, get to work on, you know, whether, whether I'm there, you know, on the front line every day, or I jump in and help on a movie. um, It's just, I couldn't be luckier to be doing what I do. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. And and I have one more question for you. Go go for it. Every, every guest. So if you could leave one piece of advice to a listener, whether it's business, life advice, or making a movie, what would it be? Don't take yourself too serious and, and just have fun and do what you do. If you're not having fun at your job, if you don't enjoy your job and what you want to do for a living, it might be time to move on. Luckily, I still mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yeah. So Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. I really appreciate you it's, sharing that. You yeah. got it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I really honestly looked forward to this and talking to you and uh, getting to know more about your career. Me, me too. I'm gonna, you know, my no, not my career, but yeah, you know, finally doing no, yeah, this I know with you, buddy. You yeah, and so, uh, it was, uh, you know, if anything else comes up, let me know. Let's try and we'll do a follow up one time. Definitely, yeah. So, that'd be awesome. And I'm gonna go onto IMDb right now and get rid of the uh, fairly odd that parents. Nickelodeon. Look, my boys <laughs> like it. They liked Fairly Odd Parents for a while, but I think it's time to not maybe put that on my IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> but alrighty, so, alright, buddy. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And guys, make sure to check out Knowledge is Power on Instagram at Knowledge is Power underscore RI. Make sure to check out Knowledge is Power on Patreon.com forward slash KIP dash POD. Make sure to leave us a rating on all the platforms you listen on. And I will catch you in the next one. <laughs>